Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go down and go to hell. I'm going to send that alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. Who pretty one look? Talk to the roof. Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, 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 whose life would be. I harm someone each time I kill someone to be an enormous amount. Especially at first, an enormous amount of, of, of horror and guilt and remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. This is part two of the Children of Thunder cult murders. If you haven't listened to part one, which was episode 154, you might want to go back and listen to it before starting this one. The Children of Thunder were a cult of former Mormons who committed five horrendous murders in the year 2000. Their leader, Taylor Helzer, had convinced his followers that he had the gift of revelation and truly spoke the word of God. His plan for an organisation called Transform America was supposed to bring harmony to the world and ring in Christ's millennial reign of peace. So, obviously, murder, kidnapping and extortion would be involved. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We are a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. As a comedy true crime podcast, we use humour to lighten up horrifying stories, but never at the expense of the victims or their loved ones. If you think comedy has no business being associated with tragedy, then Bloody Murder may not be the podcast for you. Now, plague restrictions have eased in Melbourne, so we're in the same room again together. Hey, baby! (laughs) Hey! Um, It is way better, but it still feels weird to me. It still feels weird. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous and bloody intelligent patrons. Well, we've had quite a few generous souls join our new fancy Patreon program, and we will thank them individually after our story. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. As a patron, you have access to loads of other episodes, including our half-drunk Captain Slurry and Lady Interrupters first (laughs) season and ad-free versions of all our regular episodes. As well as exclusive patron-only monthly episodes where we argue about who would win in a fight between John Candy and the Candyman Dean Call. 
We also talk about a bit of true crime. Well, yeah. Levels above $5 receive stickers and handmade Barney badges. Now, uh, the badges don't actually have pictures of Barney on them. They're just made by Barney. Yeah, we had a listener contact us and say, why do the badges have Barney on them and not Tara? (laughs) It was the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I was kind of like, what? Oh, Barney badges, of course. I mean, who would wear that anyway? (laughs) I'm wearing one now. And, of course, you're automatically entered into the draw for our monthly giveaways. All right, Tara, let's get murdery. Yes, let's. In part one of the Children of Thunder cult murders, we introduced you to former Mormon Taylor Helzer and his two followers, his little brother Justin, who lived in his shadow, and friend Dawn Godman, who'd had a rough trot in life. Taylor was a charismatic and manipulative self-proclaimed prophet who convinced some of those around him that he had the gift of revelation. He'd often start sentences with, Spirit says, to show he was speaking the direct word of God. Spirit says that was all a crock of shit. Spirit says the only thing coming out of his mouth was a river of lies. Yeah, look, none of his vile schemes and plans had anything to do with the Mormon church or God or impact harmony training or logic in any way. Taylor took a lot of drugs and had an endless supply of harebrained money-making schemes, which mostly included pimping out underage girls and selling drugs, sometimes both at once. Then there were the Brazilian orphans he wanted to adopt and train to be assassins. Oh yes, let's not forget about those. Long story short, these disgusting plans were supposed to somehow get Taylor Helzer recognised as a unifying force in the Mormon church and he would be appointed the new president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, fat chance. Yeah, they weren't having it. To help accomplish this meth pipe dream, Taylor, Justin and Dawn kidnapped Annette and Ivan Steinman, forced them to write cheques for $100,000, then brutally murdered them. Some people on social media thought this episode was titled The Children of Thunder Cunt Murders. (laughs) Hang on, it's not? No, it's not. Now, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, Dawn said that after the vicious murders of Annette and Ivan Steinman, she, Taylor and Justin knelt beside their bloodied bodies and Taylor thanked the Steinmans for being willing to sacrifice their lives for a greater cause. They were not willing. I know, it was quite the opposite. A few minutes later, Taylor told Dawn to get ready and go to the CalFed bank to deposit the ill-gotten cheques in Selena Bishop's account. As part of this particular scheme, Taylor said he needed someone to launder the extortion money for him, someone he could charm the pants off and have do his bidding. He found what he was looking for in a vibrant and trusting 22-year-old named Selena Bishop. She was the daughter of blues legend Elvin Bishop. Yeah, he did that 70s song, fooled around and fell in love. He did indeed. Selena Bishop met 30-year-old Taylor Helzer at an underground rave in late 1999 and saw him at several raves thereafter. She'd buy ease from him, then spend the night hanging around him. She thought he was mysterious and dreamy. Yeah, pingers seem to make everyone interesting. (laughs) Damn straight. As part of his grand plan, Taylor didn't tell Selena his real name because he didn't want anyone to be able to connect him with her. He said his name was Jordan Taylor. Selena fell hard for the tall, dark and handsome Jordan. She raved to her co-workers about how wonderful her new boyfriend was, but her friends and family were less enthusiastic about him. 
They didn't like the way he acted shady and wouldn't tell Selena his address or home phone number. Selena was too head over heels to register their concern and he bought her a pager so she could get in touch with him anyway. The pager sent a message that said, Hey, 1985 called and said I should go back there. (laughs) Yeah, it's odd that he didn't just give her a burner phone. Selena had spent two years at an art school in Pennsylvania before moving back to the Bay Area, after which she worked as a waitress at the Two Bird Cafe. The owner said she was great, friendly, responsible and always had a big smile, just the kind of person you like to have as a waitress. In early July 2000, Taylor helped Selena move into a studio apartment using Justin's white pickup truck. In return, she gave him a key to her new pad. Her mother, 45-year-old Jennifer Valaren, was very inquisitive about her daughter's new boyfriend and wanted to meet him, but he refused to meet any of Selena's friends or family. Too curious to let it slide, Jennifer dropped in at Selena's apartment unexpectedly when she knew Taylor would be there. She told a friend afterwards that he was cute and he seemed like a nice enough kid. Yeah, she got that a bit wrong. Well, you know, he could really project that image, even though it was clearly not true. Well, sociopaths are good actors. Mm -hmm. They have to pretend to be human all the time. How exhausting. I find it exhausting personally. I want to go back under my troll bridge and ask goats to solve riddles before they can cross. (laughs) To convince Selena to open the bank accounts for him to put his extortion money in, Taylor told her he was about to get an inheritance and he needed to hide it from his ex-wife so she couldn't get her filthy mitts on it. Selena's best friend, Lena Kyle, told RecordNet she sent Selena didn't want to ask too many questions to scare him away. She really liked him and wanted to settle down. She was sick of stupid boys. He seemed like an older man with his feet on the ground and he made her happy. Selena told her friend Jordan Miller about Taylor slash Jordan. Miller is quoted in the book Unholy Sacrifice as saying, Selena was very much in love with Jordan slash Taylor. Taylor slash Jordan. <laughs> he told her that he was getting that cash from his great uncle and the money would allow them to live together. He needed to hide this from his ex-wife. It was about 125000 and she would get twenty five k if she helped him in his scheme. Another one of Selena's new boyfriend's controlling kinks was that he wouldn't let her take any pictures of him. Because it'll steal your soul. No, he just didn't want any evidence. Oh, yeah. And yeah, also, yeah. he doesn't have a soul long gone. Yeah, that long ship gone. has sailed, my friend. Well, Taylor, slash Jordan, grabbed her camera and pulled all the film out of it once when she tried. He said he did this because he was protecting her from his drug ring. His drug ring didn't want Selena to have pictures of a homicidal wanker? Maybe he was referring to all the times he used to shelve those pingers. <laughs> Perhaps he was, because he didn't even have a drug ring. All the other drug dealers thought he was too shady for their drug ring. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So back to August 1st, 2000. To go to the bank to deposit the Steinman's checks in Selena's account, Dawn put on a bright lime green cotton pantsuit, a pair of driving gloves and a big gaudy gold cowboy hat. Taylor had told her that the more outrageously she dressed the less anyone would notice her. Yeah, solid plan. That's why ninjas dress as clowns nowadays. Yeah, it makes them virtually invisible. That's pretty much the stupidest idea I've ever heard of, Tara. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, There's actually CCTV footage of Dawn inside the bank and, whoa, lordy, she's the most conspicuous thing I've ever seen. (laughs) 
<laughs> Plain as the nose on Gerard Depardieu's face. Plain as the urine on the floor of the plane Gerard Depardieu pissed on. Yeah, not his most popular moment, but still better than green card. <laughs> On Taylor's instruction, Dawn had rented a wheelchair a few days earlier for this mission. Hang on, but just back up a bit here. Not only is she wearing this clown outfit, Mm -hmm. she's in a wheelchair. Yep. At 2.30pm, she rolled into the CalFed Bank in Walnut Creek, looking like a neon sign for a circus. Also, you know, she's not used to a wheelchair, so she's not really doing it right. Doing it very well. (laughs) She's kind of like mostly pushing it and then jumping in it. She told the manager her name was Jackie and launched into a messy story. It was quite elaborate. She said Ivan and Annette Steinman were Selena Bishop's grandparents. Selena needed to have open heart surgery but didn't have medical insurance, so the Steinmans were getting her to put money in Selena's account to pay for the surgery. She gave them two cheques made out to Selena Bishop, one for $33,000 and one for $67,000. This all seemed too ridiculous and weird to the bank manager, so she called the Steinmans on the number listed on their cheques. Obviously, they didn't answer, so she left a message. You know what, Tara? She could have just walked in there and said, I want to deposit these cheques, and just walked out. That would have worked. Yeah, probably. Dawn was shocked that the manager called the number on the cheques and told her that the Steinmans had recently moved and gave her another number for them. When the manager called, she spoke to Taylor Helzer, who she knew wasn't Ivan Steinman, as she'd just heard his voice on their answering machine message. Next, she called the firm Morgan Stanley Dean Witter about the checks, but she couldn't answer the security questions to get any information on the Steinman's accounts. After hearing her attempt to deposit the checks had been unsuccessful, Dawn rolled out the front door of the bank with her garish gold cowboy hat drooping. The manager found this particularly strange as there was no ramp at the front of the building, so Dawn had to get down 16 steps in her wheelchair. All the other customers in wheelchairs chose the elevator over the stairs. Oh, for fuck's sake, are you serious? Oh, yeah. Next, the manager went to the bank's security department and put a hard hold on the Steinman's checks, meaning that only she herself could authorise their clearance. Dawn called the bank, trying to get the checks moving, but couldn't convince the manager she had the Steinman's permission. Taylor considered this all to be Dawn's fault. Maybe she hadn't been dressed flashy enough. Oh yeah, she should have just worn an inflatable jumping castle. She could have pretended to have pogo sticks instead of legs. Yeah, use your head, Dawn. While Dawn was at the bank, Taylor and Justin dismembered the Steinman's bodies. And by that I mean Justin did most of the dirty work. Well, it is important for a leader to delegate. Dawn later said that Taylor said he had more important things to do, like sit and meditate and listen to the spirit. Spirit tells me Taylor's a lazy cunt. (laughs) Damn straight. An interesting detail we read in the book Unholy Sacrifice was that on July 10th, Dawn adopted a Rottweiler named Jake, Taylor adopted a Border Collie and called him Blackie, and Justin adopted an Australian Shepherd and called it Taser. Taylor had told them to get the dogs as a means to dispose of the bodies of the people they plan to murder. He hoped the dogs would eat human remains if they were chopped up for them. Ah, leave the dogs out of this, huh? As a rehearsal for feeding Jake Blackie and Taser human remains, they fed them meat and soup bones from a deli, but ran into problems as the dogs didn't eat as much as they'd hoped they would. Blackie and Taser were let go of, but Taylor hung on to Jake the Rottweiler. I'll tell you the problem with this plan, Tara. Soup. Soup is stupid. 
Do you drink it or eat it? Humans don't know. How would dogs? Must you bring everything back to your anti-soup platform? This is not supposed to be a political podcast. Also, you think that's the most horrible part of this plan? (laughs) You think that's the bloody problem? Selena wrote a lot in her journal about her relationship with Taylor slash Jordan. She said she'd finally found the person she'd been looking for all her life. She wrote that she wished she could see him more often and wondered why he didn't want that too. She was intimidated that Taylor slash Jordan had dated Playboy model Kerry Furman and wondered if he would be more interested in her if she lost weight. Selena was over the moon when Taylor slash Jordan invited her to go on a camping trip to Yosemite. She thought it might be a chance for him to open up more to her. Selena took the first few days of August 2000 off work and was excitedly looking forward to the trip. Though Taylor always planned to kill Selena, even his reptilian blood couldn't help but warm to her. In a classically egotistical Taylor way, he wrote in his journal, She is becoming a better person by being around me. I had a realisation that people are changing for the better by just being around me. But he turned his weird brother and his weird friend into murderers. Yeah, it's Taylor logic, Tara. It's the direct opposite of actual (sighs) logic. It is indeed. Taylor went on to say, She is not evil, saintly or exceptional, but how can I take her life when she's becoming saintly? Well, he got over that brief moment of humanity, though, and decided his stupid Transform America scheme was more valuable than Selena's life. On August 2nd, 2000, Selena Bishop had a date with Jordan slash Taylor at a bar in Berkeley that was midway between their homes. He was late, as usual. Afterwards, Taylor invited Selena over to his place. She hung out with him, Justin and Dawn, and they smoked some weed. I mean, Tara, how creepy would it be hanging out with the three of them after smoking weed? Oh, it'd just be creepy at any point. Hideously creepy. I imagine that Justin would just sit there in silence and stare at you and Dawn would be all fake friendly and complimentary like, I really like your bracelet. Yeah, you know she's being fake because that bracelet of yours is ugly. Oh, fuck off. I'm not even wearing a bracelet because that friendship bracelet you made me was too ugly. I spent so much time on that. The plan was for Dawn to get Selena to look at the supposed remodelling they were doing in the bathroom and when she turned her back, Justin was to beat her to death with a hammer. But Selena foiled this plan by not turning her back on Justin. Always a wise move. Time for plan B. Taylor put some rohypnol in a glass of wine and gave it to Selena. She noticed something floating in it and commented. So Taylor took it away and gave her another glass. This one sans rohypnol. Selena mustn't have ingested any of the drug though, as she remained alert. So Taylor came up with another grisly plan for her demise. He spread a blanket on the floor of the living room and told Selena he was going to give her a back massage. He had her lie down facing the wall. As Taylor was massaging her back, Justin crept in, wielding a hammer. He cracked Selena on the head with it, with all his might. Stunned, Selena screamed and raised a hand to protect herself, but this did nothing to prevent Justin's onslaught as he rained down blows on her head at least six more times. Dawn said, I watched it all. They picked her up and took her into the kitchen area because she was bleeding a lot and her blood was saturating the carpet. She didn't move anymore. Afterwards, Taylor told Dawn to clean up the blood. While she did so, he and Justin went to prepare the bathroom for Selena's dismemberment. 
Unbeknownst to them, Selena was still alive. Dawn later recalled, I heard Selena moving around in the kitchen, but I just kept cleaning up the carpet. Taylor came out and saw her and said, I'm sorry, Selena. Then he hit her with the hammer. He did it at least three times. She stopped moving. Justin and Taylor carried Selena's body into the bathroom and realised that she was still breathing. Taylor called Dawn in to make her watch and he told her, Spirit says you get to know this is not a dream. Ugh. Uh, I know. Then Taylor slit Selena's throat with a hunting knife. The Helzer brothers, well, mostly Justin, dismembered Selena's body as Dawn went back to cleaning up the blood on the carpet. Taylor wanted to see if Jake the Rottweiler would eat human flesh, so he cut off part of Selena's tattoo and held it out to the dog, and he ate it. So Taylor fed him the rest of Selena's tattoo as well. Poor Jake. Probably thought it was chicken. I know. I'm sure Jake was a good boy. It wasn't his fault. The evil trio burnt Selena's clothes and did a lot of cleaning. Actually, here's how good at cleaning Justin was. Despite it being the scene of three brutal and bloody murders and dismemberments, later the police didn't find a skerrick of blood in the bathroom. There's a career right there that he could have had instead of mm. doing this. Anyway, after this, they stuffed the body parts into duffel bags. They gathered rocks and stepping stones from outside the house to weigh down the bags. So Tara, remember Deborah, the supposed white witch who gave happy ending massages to the Children of Thunder for spiritual reasons? How could I forget? She and Taylor were sexually involved and part of his pillow talk was telling her about another of his revenue raising plans. Taylor would pick three beautiful underage girls. Ugh. I am so disgusted how many of his plans involve pimping out underage girls. I know, right? So this plan was to take them on a cruise one at a time. The cruises were to last at least five days. He'd teach these little girls everything they needed to know about how to please a man, which is pretty much a rape scenario. There's no pretty much about it. That's some Jeffrey Epstein shit right there. Yeah, it's pretty vile. Then he'd house them in an apartment with a caretaker. The girls would work in a sandwich shop and deliver lunches to stockbrokers at Taylor's previous employer, Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. Oh, he has such a vengeance hard on for them. The girls would hit on the stockbrokers, take them back to the apartment where there would be Viagra and ecstasy and have sex with them. Then they'd take compromising photos of them for blackmail reasons. This sounds a lot like one of the schemes he had in, uh, in part one of this story. I guess they overlap, huh? He'd get the girls lawyered up to sue his former employer for $50 million, but they'd settle for $20 million. Taylor would receive most of the money, but he'd also give the stockbrokers they blackmailed a million dollars each so they wouldn't kill themselves. Such a considerate guy. Oh, yeah, he's a peach. Mm. Deborah told Taylor she could make money for him by being in porno movies. <laughs> Thanks, Deborah. She figured she could get paid $2,000 a piece and make between six dollars and $8,000 a week, which is probably oversimplifying matters, but okay. Weirdly enough, Taylor wasn't very into this idea. Ah, uh, that's probably because he didn't come up with it himself. Also, she wasn't underaged. Though, Tara, Justin thought this was a cool idea. <laughs> he told her he'd always wanted to film a man and woman having sex on the bonnet of a car during peak hour. Ah, oh, you got to love those brief glimpses into Justin's psyche, don't you? Yeah, Justin and Taylor, they're both very different brands of nuts, aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. Did you know that Taylor also thought about starting a coven? 
Yeah, look, I'm not surprised by that. No. Uh, to get members, he was going to advertise it in the newspaper. But, yeah, then his methed up brain forgot all about it. Again, not surprised. No, it's a pretty normal. Taylor wanted Deborah to keep a portable safe of his at her place. In exchange for giving Deborah a washing machine, she let him. She figured the worst that would be in there would be the drugs that he sold at Raves. She was wrong. Deborah was also to be their alibi for the day they killed the Steinmans. They had her buy four tickets to the 8pm showing of X-Men on July 30th and afterwards buy four meals at Denny's and keep the receipts. She said later, I was wondering what was going on. I knew I was creating an alibi, but I didn't know why. Taylor got Justin to take out several loans and credit cards to support him, racking up $30,000 in debt. Justin was too busy fantasising about peak hour traffic orgies to care. I know that's what I'm thinking about right now. Oh my God, so am I, but not on purpose. (laughs) Shortly after murdering Selena Bishop, Taylor began to worry because he had met Selena's mother, Jenny Villarin. He was stressed that she might know about the bank account Selena had opened for him and could identify him as Selena's killer. Selena had told him her mum would be house-sitting her apartment while she and Taylor went camping. Taylor figured this was a good opportunity to go and kill her. Oh, no. Mm. Taylor got dressed up like Neo from The Matrix in a long black leather coat. He took two guns and got Dawn to drive him to Selena's flat. Dawn said, It didn't seem odd to kill Selena's mum. Taylor was always altering his plans. We'll be back with the conclusion of the Children of Thundercunt murders after this. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cosy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, Barney, two cakes. What time is it? It's true crime nerd time. Woo! True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true or fiction crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your crime-obsessed itch. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it, or write it, and we'll read it out. And we have one here from the most lovely Lorraine Ledwell. Hey Lorraine! She's an all-star too, a TCNT all-star! She really is. She has sent in a recording, and it's about the Big Cat Murder Mystery, which is a tour in London that you can do online, like a virtual thing. Yeah, I understand the concept. I I had to look it up. (laughs) So let's hear from Lorraine. Hey, Tara and Barney. Um, Love you both so much, and thank you for giving us quality content. You two are Aussie legends that are keeping us sane. I know, that's weird, right? But I just thought I'd send you a little true crime nerd time that's a bit different. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the GW Zoo, it really isn't. Now there's been another arson attack. 
Due to a global pandemic, the sheriff is having to proceed with the investigation completely online and he needs your help to solve the case. Over the course of 90 minutes, you'll get to listen to suspect statements and their constant bickering, find out their backstory and their complex relationship history. You'll get to investigate where everyone was when the fire broke out and the contents of the red safe. Figuring out the culprit's move as you proceed through the case. Some of the witnesses have even chose to share their statements in musical form. And some are even shirtless. The Big Cat Murder Mystery is an online case solver run via Zoom for Secret London, who usually do walking tours. Uh, but this time, from the comfort of your own cage, you get to interact with Dolores, Billy Jay, Zoralis, Bobby, Piper and the Sheriff, and hear of poor Malcolm's demise. There are plenty of opportunities to ask questions that might lead to cracking the case, or just have fun dis- social distancing with the cast or other attendees. Bring a friend. I brought Senga, or she brought me. There are tigers, marsupials, elephant poop, secret filming, gambling. What's not to love, really? There's even a prize at the end of it, and not necessarily for the one who actually identifies the murder correctly. So dress up, grab a drink and snacks, keep your wits about you. I wrote loads of notes, because you're about to get your murder fix and crack the case. It's definitely something I'd take part again. Enjoy. Thanks, Lorraine. That virtual tour is called the Big Cat Murder Mystery, the details of which, including the URL, will be in the show notes. I love her voice. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, her accent is divine. Well, you're like a gin, Barney. That'd be great, (laughs) Lorraine. Thanks. Please. Make it a double. Yeah, that's not Lorraine's accent. Oh, yeah, but that's you're me. kind of like strangely British when you're talking to her, I guess. It is sometimes when you talk to someone with an accent, it's hard not to try and mimic their accent. I remember when I first met Cambo, it was really tough. Because you know I love throwing in a bit of a Cambo uh, accent every now and right. then. <laughs> Grab a beer and pull out your anal beads. <laughs> you're listening to True Crime Island. But yeah, it's not something you can do in front of someone, really. It, it, it makes you seem like a dick. If you'd like to submit to True Crime Nerd Time, visit our website bloodymurderpodcast.com for instructions on how to contribute. Movies inspired by real crimes. Cruise ship deaths and disappearances. Crimes that shape the course of history. And crimes involving families. These are just a few of the series you can find on Corpus Delicti. Corpus Delicti is a weekly true crime podcast that takes a series approach, spending several weeks at a time discussing crime within a certain topic. Hosted by Two Southern Bells, we bring you compelling stories with a hint of Southern charm. Sometimes the stories will make you cry. Sometimes you might even laugh, but they're stories you won't want to miss. Find Corpus Delicti on your favorite podcast app by searching for C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I and join us every Tuesday. Hope to see you then. And now for the conclusion of the Children of Thunder cult murders. At around 3am on August 3rd, Taylor went to Selena's apartment to kill her mother, Jenny. When he got there, he found she wasn't alone. Her friend Jim Gamble was also there. Jenny had an interest in jewellery making, which is how she had met Jim. He was into rocks and gems and they had met at a gem show. He was also a regular at the Paper Mill Creek Saloon where Jenny worked. When Taylor let himself into the apartment with the key Selena had given him, Jenny and Jim were asleep. He fired six shots at them at close range with a 9mm Beretta pistol before running from the scene. 
Some neighbours initially thought it had been kids letting off firecrackers, but others knew the sound of gunfire when they heard it and called the police. The police arrived quickly to find Jenny and Jim dead. By then, Taylor and Dawn were in the wind. Jenny had been shot twice in the face and Jim had been shot four times in the calf, arm, chest and neck. Detectives working the crime scene collected evidence, including shell casings and bullets. They found Selena's journal and read her numerous entries about Jordan slash Taylor. Both victims' wallets had well over $100 in them, so it was obviously not a robbery. The police wondered where Selena Bishop was and if she had been the intended victim. Well, yeah, it was her apartment. Selena's other family members were keen to find her too as they were worried she would hear about her mother's murder from strangers. To make the bodies of Annette and Ivan Steinman and Selena Bishop harder to identify if they were found, Taylor told his followers to remove their teeth. Mm, Yeah, this bit's... Dawn is quoted in the book Unholy Sacrifice as saying... Justin reached into the bag and got the three heads out and put them on a towel. I had to hold the people's heads while he tried to knock the teeth out of the upper and lower jaws with a chisel and a hammer. I didn't think about anything while this was going on. It took at least 30 minutes for the whole process to take place. What a bunch of raging sociopaths. How could that not affect you? Oh, extreme denial? I'm, I don't know. I don't know. The jaws and teeth were put in a garbage bag and placed in different duffel bags than the heads. The three dismembered bodies had been all jumbled up in an attempt to make identification harder. On August 3rd, Taylor, Justin and Dawn headed to the massive body of water known as the Delta. Riding in Justin's pickup truck, towing a small boat and carrying nine duffel bags full of body parts, which had been weighted down with stones and weights. Their neighbour Kay Shaman saw them leave and said there were duffel bags in the truck bed and another on the lap of the man sitting in the passenger seat. Taylor was nursing a bag of body parts on his lap. A surveillance camera caught Justin Helzer's truck crossing a bridge over the San Joaquin River on their way to dump the duffel bags. Taylor and Justin launched the rented boat into the water near Corth's Pirate's Lair which is apparently a place. They took two duffel bags at a time and sailed north on the Mokalumni River to dispose of them, while Dawn waited with the remaining bags. They were gone about half an hour each time. Afterwards, the three went out for a spot of dinner before washing the blood out of the bed of Justin's pickup truck. Ivan and Annette Steinman's daughter Nancy had tried to call her parents on August 1st and 2nd but couldn't get in touch with them. This was worrying as they usually let her know when they went away. On August 3rd, she went to their house to check up on them and was alarmed to find several newspapers by their front door. Their minivan was gone too, but in an unsettling turn of event, one of the license plates was lying in the driveway. Once inside, Nancy saw a pan of mouldy food in the kitchen. Annette was very particular about keeping the house clean and would never have left something like that lying around. The Steinmans also hadn't left any food or water for their two cats, which was a gigantic red flag. Nancy called the police and reported her parents missing. On August 4th, when Selena Bishop failed to show up for a shift at the Two Bird Cafe and was unable to be contacted, her friends called the Marin County Sheriff's Department to issue a missing persons report for her as well. Hey Tara, did you know Taylor liked reggae? 
I can imagine him listening to One Love by Bob Marley while plotting murders and sex trafficking children. Well, Taylor's friend Jessica Chomp had invited him to a reggae festival called Reggae on the River in the coastal redwoods on the Eel River. Let me guess, did this festival consist of listening to reggae music by the river? No, Tara, it was electro-porn funk in a cave. Oh, that sounds more like a gig Justin would go to. Taylor had been looking forward to it because he loved reggae and electro-porn funk in caves (laughs) and saw it as a great occasion to move some pingers. Mm -hmm. In other words, sell some ecstasy. Yeah, I reckon people get that. After disposing of the duffel bags full of body parts, Taylor went to the reggae festival. Like you do. Hey, you know, he's worked hard, he deserves a break. While he was there, he was a total dickhole and yelled at Jessica that she was a manipulative bitch, which is funny because he's the most manipulative bitch I've ever heard of. Amen to that. While he was gone, Dawn and Justin dumped the Steinman's Chevrolet minivan in a rundown area of Oakland. They left it with all the windows down and the key in the ignition in the hopes that it would get stolen. Dawn threw some of their credit cards out the car window as they drove there, hoping that someone might find them and use them and that that would confuse the police. Taylor had Dawn leave Ivan Steinman's wedding ring in Selena Bishop's car, hoping to make the police believe that elderly, happily married Ivan had run off with 22-year-old Selena. Dawn visited Deborah the wanking white witch and put some items in the safe Taylor had left at her place. She also stored the wheelchair she'd used to go to the bank in there. In the safe? Did she shrink it? Yes. No, she just like left the wheelchair at her house, not in the safe. Right. Dawn told her, If the authorities ever ask you any questions about us, get rid of the safe. Deborah later said that at that moment she thought to herself, Oh, shit. On Sunday, August 6th, the Steinman's minivan was found in an industrial neighbourhood in Oakland. A chainsaw and a sawhorse were found inside and police lifted fingerprints from the vehicle. The Steinman's daughter, Nancy, said afterwards, I felt like the walls were coming down on me. My world was collapsing. It got worse each day. You didn't think it could get worse, but it did get worse. Later that day, a professional carpet cleaner was called to Dawn and the Helsers house to clean a blood stain in the living room from when Selena had been killed. They told the cleaners it was Kool-Aid. The police learnt from speaking to Selena's co-workers at the cafe that her secretive new boyfriend had given her a pager and she'd left it behind. After the detectives said to each other, 1985 called and it wants its pager back, they noticed it had a Contra Costa County area code and Concord prefix. They'd also heard that Jordan, a.k.a. Taylor, lived in Concord. Through phone records, they were able to track down Justin Helzer and saw that he had a white pickup truck, like the one Taylor used to help Selena move into her new place. They also noted that he had recently bought a 9mm Beretta semi-automatic pistol. Jenny Valorin and Jim Gamble had been shot with 9mm bullets. The police ran surveillance on Justin, Taylor and Dawn's rental house on Saddlewood Court. They got pictures of both Helzer brothers from the DMV and showed them to Selena's friends. They identified Taylor as being the mysterious Jordan. On August 7th, 2000, at 6am, a search warrant was executed on the Children of Thunder's house. The police hoped to locate the gun that was used to kill Jenny and Jim. Dawn and Justin were detained, but Taylor made a break for it in his undies. He jumped out his bedroom window, scaled several fences and ran off. 
he broke into the home of a startled man and demanded his car keys. The man laughed when he handed them over and told Taylor his car had broken down and wouldn't start. <laughs> Next, Taylor forced his way into the house of his neighbour, Mary Masucci. He threatened to kill her if she called the cops. He held her at knife point and yelled at her to give him the fucking car keys. Her car wasn't working either, though. <laughs> it's almost like Spirit wants him to be arrested. Taylor grabbed a pair of scissors from the kitchen drawer and cut off his stupid, charming ponytail. <laughs> he changed into some of Mary's husband's clothes, which were way too big for him, and tried to kidnap her. Mary wasn't having it, Tara, Mm-mm. and instead of following him out the back door, she quickly locked it behind him. <laughs> Deputies caught up with Taylor a few minutes later. Yeah, you might be able to cut your glorious ponytail off, but there's no hiding a six-foot-four evil-minded fake prophet in suburbia, is there? (laughs) Damn straight. They got him to sit in a squad car to interview him, but he managed to jump out and run off again like the slippery snake he was. Perhaps if he'd spent more time doing cardio than plotting the demise of innocent people, he wouldn't have gotten away. But it didn't take the deputies long to catch up with him again. Investigators found videotaped news broadcasts about Selena Bishop's disappearance in their house. Evidence linking Taylor to the Steinman's disappearance, drugs and drug paraphernalia. They also found handcuffs and leg irons in Justin's pickup, but they didn't find the 9mm guns. Now I don't know if these deluded freaks thought they could get money back on their tax returns for all their murder-related purchases, but they certainly kept all the receipts, Tara. They also wrote down a lot of their plans. Yeah, like heaps of them. They were arrested initially on drug charges. The same day, the first two duffel bags, one containing a human head and the other a torso, were found on the Mokalumni River in the Sacramento River Delta. Rachel Linden, who managed the marina with her husband, watched as the second bag was recovered. She told the San Francisco Examiner, It was creepy when they lifted up the canvas bag. You could see blood mixed with the water. We knew right away this was trouble. As mentioned in part one, it took a week to reconstruct the bodies and identify them. Pieces of bone were taken for DNA testing, and the bags of jaws and teeth was helpful too. You'd actually expect them to have not put the teeth in with the bodies, right? Fucking amateurs. Forensic pathologist Dr Gregory Reber was quoted in the San Francisco Chronicle as saying, This is the most complicated case I've ever had to deal with in my career. County Coroner Paul Smith told the Chronicle, The remains we've found have been dismembered and co-mingled in the bags. It's pretty horrific. Eight of the duffel bags had been weighed down with the man-made concrete stepping stones. They were the same kind used in Dawn and the Hells' yard. There were indentations in their yard where the missing stones had been. White plastic bags with red drawstrings had also been found in the Children of Thunder's house. They were similar to ones used to hold the heads of Ivan, Annette and Selina. Dawn, Taylor and Justin's prints were all found in the Steinman's minivan. Deputy District Attorney for Contra Costa County, Harold Jewett, told the media, I don't think I have words to describe what I'm beginning to see in this case. There's something truly horrible and perhaps evil in the commission of these crimes. It's obvious to us that the relationship between Taylor Helzer and the Steinmans was very suggestive of a motive. Justin and Taylor's mother, Karma Helzer, told reporters at a press conference... They are innocent. I would like the victims' families to join me in prayer for the truth. Yeah, the crap apples didn't fall too far from the shit tree here. 
Two days after being arrested, the three were arraigned in court. At this point, Tyler was only charged with drug possession, burglary, use of a deadly weapon and making threats after he invaded two houses in his escape from the police. Dawn and Justin were charged with auto theft of the Steinman's van. The police told media more charges were pending. They ended up charging all three with 18 felonies, including murder, extortion and kidnapping. After her arrest, Dawn said, I believe no matter what happened, Taylor would work with the angels to set us free. Yeah, she's in for a fucking rude shock, isn't she? Oh, she certainly is. According to Unholy Sacrifice by Robert Scott, Dawn was in the Martinez detention facility with several other women waiting to appear in court when a news story about the Children of Thunder came on the TV. Dawn said, referring to Taylor, They keep saying that he's my boyfriend. He ain't my boyfriend. I've had sex with him and got him high, but he's not my boyfriend. That's remarkably like my relationship with Jeff Goldblum. And my relationship with Cambo. <laughs> the authorities weren't sure at first what role Selena Bishop had played in the crimes. They knew that she'd opened up bank accounts and they thought that she may have been involved in the plot to kill the Steinmans too and was murdered because she got cold feet. Uh, but they eventually figured out she wasn't involved in any of that. On August 18th, Taylor's attorney, Susan Shepot seemed to be laying down the groundwork for an insanity defence when she told media, he doesn't know what happened, he hears things that people say in jail, and he is horrified. After getting an anonymous tip, detectives searched Deborah the White Witch's place and found the Hells' safe. In the safe they found checkbooks and credit cards belonging to Ivan and Annette Steinman. They also discovered social security cards belonging to the Steinmans and Selena Bishop, as well as Selena's driver's licence, a magazine for a 9mm Beretta pistol, jewellery, drug paraphernalia, weed, crystals and rohypnol. Did they find the tiny wheelchair in the safe? We discussed this earlier. They didn't shrink the wheelchair, dude. Pity. Deborah eventually admitted that she'd bought four tickets to the film X-Men on Taylor's instruction and that he told her to say that the four of them had gone for dinner and a movie on the night of July 30th, 2000 when the Steinmans were kidnapped. Deborah said Taylor had claimed that he was legally crazy and that if he was ever caught, he would never be held responsible for his actions. While he was in jail awaiting his court date, Taylor tried to sell the story of his murder spree to Playboy for $400,000. Hugh Hefner was like, yeah, fuck that. Yeah, not enough blonde lady titties. These heinous creatures were arrested in August 2000 and Taylor's ex Kerry Furman was to be Playboy's Miss September. Hef did not want any further association with this murderous fuckery. Yeah, don't make Hef look dodgy. Jenny Villaran and Jim Gamble were murdered in Marin County while Selena and the Steinmans were killed in Contra Costa County and the bags full of body parts were discovered in Sacramento County. This complicated the investigation and subsequent trial quite a lot. According to True Crime with Aphrodite Jones, Dawn's commitment to Taylor was so great that she wouldn't initially assist her defence team in defending her. They had to bring in a cult deprogrammer to bring her to her senses, Tara. But she refused to talk to the cult deprogrammer until he did all three levels of the impact harmony training. <laughs> I would have loved to see how he acted in that course. Like, he would have had to behave enough to not get kicked out, but I bet he made it interesting. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Oh. It took several months for Dawn to be deprogrammed. 
When she was, she was mortified to realise Taylor wasn't the prophet and that they'd killed five innocent people for no reason. Dawn agreed to testify against Sir Helzer brothers in exchange for a prison sentence that didn't include the death penalty. Instead, she received a 37-year sentence. Taylor surprised everybody, including his attorney, when he decided to plead guilty to all the charges. He hated being in court, he thought it took too long, and he probably hated having to listen to people talk rather than talking at them. He knew at the time of his plea that he would not receive a lighter sentence for it. That was surprising because he had been diagnosed as having a mental illness after he faked a breakdown in 1998 to get on disability payments. Ah, yes, the peanut butter and the hair incident. Mm. Yeah, for quite a while after his arrest, he claimed not to remember being involved in any of the murders, conveniently. Perhaps he took some fish oil supplements. And got his memory back, maybe. Or maybe he didn't want to cock-block Justin's insanity defence. That'd be the first time in his life he wasn't happy to cock-block Justin. (laughs) That's true. Justin's insanity defence basically claimed that he didn't realise what he was doing was wrong because he was so intensely under Taylor's spell. Which kind of rings true to me, but either the jury didn't buy it or they didn't care. In early March 2005, 34-year-old Glenn Taylor Helzer and 33-year-old Justin Helzer were sentenced to death. Justin received three death sentences for the murders of Annette and Ivan Steinman and Selena Bishop and life without the possibility of parole for killing Jim Gamble and Jenny Villarin. Taylor Helzer received five death sentences. Afterwards, Taylor sobbed and said, I'm so very sorry. Then he went on a random rant against the government for a bit before circling back and apologising again. According to the East Bay Times, Selena Bishop's aunt and Jenny Villarin's sister, Olga Land, told the media, there is no such thing as closure when asked about the verdict. Justin wasn't too happy about his sentence. He had an outburst in court where he yelled, I want freedom or death. It seems he meant it. In 2010, Justin attempted to commit suicide by stabbing himself in the eyes with pens and pencils. Justin survived the attempt though he was left blind in both eyes. Whoa. According to the East Bay Times, he also paralysed himself on the right side and damaged his brain. In August 2003, Justin tried to kill himself again. He was found dead in his cell at San Quentin Prison. He had used a sheet tied to his cell bars to hang himself. Afterwards, Taylor was placed under intensive screening to ensure that he didn't take his own life as well. Yeah, so no killing yourself, that's our job. Yeah, we're going to kill you five times. Isn't that a Dawes song? Yeah, close enough. Dawn Godman is still in prison and Taylor Helzer is still on death row. Olga Land told media that although she was satisfied with the death penalty, it still devastated her knowing that Taylor would be alive for years on death row where his family can visit him while she can never again see her murdered sister or niece. Yeah, hardly seems fair, but I guess fair has no place in this story, does it? I don't think the word fair was even mentioned in this story. Oh, what a story. Damn, I know that's some of the most intense stuff we've ever talked about. It's pretty nuts. I can't believe they got dogs involved. Yeah, they were all good boys. Yeah, it's not your fault, Jake. I have but one question. Yes? What is Ozzy Az? 
Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Yes, I would. This Aussie as is actually about something I've been worried about happening to me my whole entire life. Going bald? Nah, I'd rock that. Doing bloody murder solo? I mean, if you're offering. It would cut down on travel time and that whole annoying smelly Barney dude. I'm right here, you know. <laughs> you're okay. This is actually worse. According to Nine News, 59-year-old Helen Richards was at her sister-in-law's house in Chapel Hill, Queensland last year when nature called. Helen answered its call by going to the bathroom. She was minding her own business while doing her business when the stuff of nightmares struck. Helen said, I felt this sharp tap on my bottom along with some pain. When she looked down to see what caused it, a huge carpet python was looking up at her from inside the toilet. Holy shit, that's a python, she yelled. Freaking the fuck out, Helen jumped up and bolted for the bathroom door, but it wasn't going to be that easy. She said, oh, my knickers were around my ankles, so it was like running a three-legged race without a partner. I could jump, but I couldn't run, so I actually fell over. <laughs> Helen, who is clearly a bit of a legend, felt a tad bad for the snake. She said, I thought, oh, wow, you didn't enjoy that shower under a full moon, did you? <laughs> uh, I love Helen. I love Helen. I wanted to write for me. <laughs> but, maybe, but maybe the python did. Maybe the python was into it. Yeah, that's true. After getting her shit together, Helen shoved the python entirely back into the toilet, shut the lid and covered it with pot plants to weigh it down and keep it the fuck shut. Professional handlers were called in. No, not you, Barney. And the snake was removed without further incident. What? You don't consider me a professional snake handler? No. But don't go worrying, Helen's ass was fine, as carpet pythons aren't venomous. The whole incident led to her copying a lot of shit from her family, though. She said, My brother said it couldn't miss my ass if I wanted to. <laughs> she said, My brother said it couldn't miss my ass if it wanted to, and my brother in law wanted to know if the snake needed a vaccine. <laughs> I love Helen and her family. I love Helen and her family too, but I don't like toilet pythons, okay? You know, that's why toilets are white, so you can see the pythons. I would like to think so. What it, about albino pythons, Well, Barney? there's actually um, a place in, in northern Queensland, Rockhampton, where they have a lot of albino pythons, and they had different coloured toilets. True story. And you, did you know that's where that um, band got their name from, albino pythons? Um, white snake. White snake. Oh, they got it from albino toilet pythons, did they? They did, from Rockhampton. We're a learning podcast. And none of that is true. <laughs> yeah, also, is Rockhampton that far up? I didn't think Yeah, it it's was. pretty far up, isn't yeah. it? I don't know. I don't know. What do I look like, a map? Well, this brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. And when we say people, <laughs> I mean person. <laughs> So thank you to Modest Mummy from Canada. Do you think that Modest Mummy is like meaning that, that she has kids or is it like actually wrapped up in bandages, Mummy? Oh, like an Egyptian mummy. Yeah. I think it's like that, yeah. Well, they are quite modest. We'd also like to thank Lorraine and our Facebook moderating team. You know who else is awesome? Who? Our patrons. We yes. love them. We love them. Love them so much. So much that we've been holding monthly giveaways. For our May Prize, we're giving away a pair of Bloody Murder leggings. 
Look sexy and dangerous cool with bloody murder all over your walking arms. For a chance to win, uh, just become or already be a bloody murder patron at a level of $5 or above. Now, we've had a new bunch of bloody legends join our Patreon program. So thank you to Karma, Chinmay Kisti, Pierce DeCourcy, Kristen, Kez Wilson, Albert Chapman, Anya Elby, and Penny Souza. She upped her pledge. So thank you so much, all of you. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. Are you going to have to have a cough now because your thirsty voice <laughs> normal? <laughs> I was trying, just trying to hold it in. No, nah, there's no point, dude. I'm used to it. It happens <clears throat> every time. <laughs> I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us achieve world domination and silence the lizard people. Yeah, fuck those lizard people. Follow us uh, through our Facebook page or join our brilliant Facebook group. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Bloody Murder Pod and Instagram, we're Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. Check out our website, BloodyMurderPodcast.com, for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our threadless merchandise. We also now have Bloody Murder socks, a new Hey Baby design, and badges. Not handmade Barney badges. You have to be a patron to get those. But we have other badges that are possibly just as good. Wow, you have been busy, Barney. I have. Because 2020 is a raging twat waffle, we have some new Bloody Murder merch that we never expected to ever have, ever. COVID-19 face masks. Stay plague-free and super stylin' and help MedShare. They do all those things. Bloody Murder, in partnership with Threadless, would donate a portion of the sale of each face mask to MedShare. MedShare is a humanitarian aid organisation dedicated to improving the quality of life of people, communities and our planet by sourcing and directly delivering surplus medical supplies and equipment to communities in need around the world. They do some good work. So thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. I went to wake up Dexter this morning and I was wearing my Captain Awesome T-shirt Mm. And uh, which I haven't worn for a quite quite a number of years. You got reminded of it because I posted those those old pictures from for your birthday. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he took one look at it and went, Captain Awesome, more like Captain Asshat. And I said, it's a, Where did you learn that word? You shouldn't be using a word like that. And he said, And he said, You use it all the time. You called me an asshat last night. <laughs> But he's so wise. Or is he, he is. 12 now? So now I'm being called Captain Arshat by my children. I've been calling you Arshat for ages, but that's because you used to call me Shitbird. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Captain Arshat. Best, best daddy name ever. It's that's, pretty good. That's respect, baby. I bet that's how the Joe Kennedy felt. You're just a normal Shitbird. You're not Captain Shitbird. I'm, I'm, I'm Lady Interruptus. <laughs> and Lady Swearington. Lady Swearington. <laughs> I like it. The Duchess of Cunt. <laughs> mm, I wonder if that was a cat hair on my lip or one of my dog hairs. Or maybe maybe it was a pube. I can't really say. It could be anybody's pube. It could be, yeah. It could, could be, be anyone's could pube. could be Chris Farley's pube. Well, that's probably worth something. That'd be worth something. Yeah. Remember the... the funny big guy. Yeah. The way he lived, not the way he died, because that was bad. Yeah, yeah, but maybe you're just getting slightly ahead of yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I'm here. Barney's over there. Yeah, yeah. That you got you got another Barney speeding ahead of you. Well, well, um, while Sloth Barney's just taking up the rear like he does. Woo! I like Sloth Barney. Yeah, I like Sloth Barney too. Sloth Tara is a lot better than. Fast can you Tara. just can you slap Speedy Barney? Good. All right, he's back. That meant I just hit myself in the face twice for that. The things I do for podcasts. I know. And by the way, that was that was a long con for me to get you to hit yourself in the face. Well, the first time it didn't make a very good sound, so then I had to hit myself harder. <laughs> oh my god, the things the things we do for podcasting, huh? Yeah, you know she's being fake because that bracelet of yours is ugly. Oh, fuck off. I'm not even wearing a bracelet because that friendship bracelet you made me was too ugly. I spent so much time on that. <laughs> Suck it, fuck boy. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? That's a bit harsh. <laughs> you loved it. I'm all right with Captain Arshat, but fuck boy. You just came alive. It was like, really? I really like it when I'm so mean to you. I do like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure all the listeners always understand that. Uh, I think they just think that I'm this cunt and sometimes you cry or something. (laughs) 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 And your your beard gets all soggy. It does. With your sad, sad I don't have a beard. I have a moustache. Dude, it's it's you've probably shaved your beard off like a week ago and it's enough that would be any man would consider that a beard except you. Nah, it's just a five o'clock shadow. No, that's that's like you know, it's maybe a seven PM shadow. That's the best beard a lot of like adult men could possibly grow, and that's just your like accidental Well, beard. they're not men, are they? They're boys. Yeah, you you're very talented in the facial that's hair right. area. Thank you. It's the truth. Justin was too busy fantasising about peak hour traffic orgies to care. I know that's what I'm thinking about right now. Oh, my God, so am I, but not on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah, the cars aren't moving very fast. Sex, 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 not moving traffic. Slow traffic. Rusty trombone. Beep, Ah. beep, beep. Oh, oh. (laughs) Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to Hot FM, the countdown of all countdowns. Beep, beep, beep. (laughs) (laughs) Grab yourself an icy, icy can of cake and get yourself to (laughs) 7-Eleven. That's my kissing noise. (laughs) Beep, beep, beep. You call that driving? You call that fucking? One fucking line, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the light's green. Yay. Yeah, you oh, because I got the line hey! right. I thought, you, uh, I thought you were che- cheersing the Paper Mill Creek Saloon. I was going, have you been there? I'd never been there. What's it like? It's oh, a great place. They have a mechanical bull. Oh, really? Nah, it was mechanical bullshit. <laughs> I had a go in a mechanical bull once. Did you really, or is this a lie? No, it's true. Really? Where? Well, um, it was a Rage Against the Machine album launch. Where? It was in some bar in the city. Yeah, and they had a fucking mechanical bull. Yeah, it was, what was that album called? Going Against the Bulls? Raging Against the Bulls? Oh, okay. Running with the Bulls or something? Uh, Barney on a Mechanical Bull, I think it was called. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I, I lasted... Like, oh, God, it was a really long time. It was like about three seconds. seconds. (laughs) So you pretty much just fell straight off. 
Yeah, I got, I got thrown off, and, I, and in a brilliant piece of a great, I just did a great landing. I landed on my face. Oh shit! Did you hurt yourself? I felt. I don't remember a lot of the rest of the <laughs> night because I, I might have had a concussion. But I did get a girl's phone number. Yes. Yeah. And I rang her, and and um, I left a message. I said, "Oh, it's Barney here. Um, I can't remember her name. Let's just call her Sarah. Sarah. Hey, Sarah, you wanna you wanna catch up for a drink?" And she never called me back. She was like, oh, what? That loser that fell on his face when he came off the mechanical bull? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, so Sarah, you really missed out, mate. Yeah, you could be uh, dating uh, Australian podcasting royalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, I want to see you ride a mechanical bull. Tuffy was there. He lasted ages. He lasted like about 15 seconds. He's a very determined guy. He's like very if he determined. just if he was like I'm holding on, you just I think he probably would still be there now like 15 20 years later. Yeah, he's a pretty determined guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well done, I Tuffy. Do, yeah, I don't I don't doubt it. He can also just see red and go like Mah! like he's really he's got a lot of passion, Tuffy. Uh, it's, there's a lot of big dick energy there going on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, even before we knew that was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Nelly's going to lie that bit. <laughs> <laughs> they took two duffel bags at a time and sailed north on the Mokholmna. Fuck you every <laughs> single fucking time. There's not a single time that I didn't f- get it wrong. <laughs> okay, come on. Fuck. Mm. On Sunday, August 6th, the Steinman's minivan was found in an industrial neighbourhood in Oakland. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just said industrial. Industrial? <laughs> like it's made of underpants. Ugh, industrial. Mm, don't get all industrial with me, lassie. Check out my bloomers, they're industrial. <laughs> <laughs> On August 7th, 2000, at 6am, a search warrant was... Oh, fuck. Sorry, I've got a... Notification over the top where I was ah, reading. And, and, and it was Lorraine. Oh, do we hate her now? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. It, it, Lorraine said something on Facebook oh, and it I went really, over the I, top of my copy and I was trying to I read really, it. I, I love Lorraine, but I guess if you hate her, I could think about hating her too. No, don't. <laughs> we love Lorraine. We do love Lorraine. Rachel Linden. Rachel, that's how I say <laughs> see, it. See, that's what's happened when you've done, you done something good. You fuck it up <laughs> right away. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't uh, think you ever had to say Mokalumni River, did you? It's just everyone was me. According to Nine News, 59-year-old Helen Richards was at her fucking fuck you. I reckon it sounds like I have anger management issues in that I say fuck you every time I fuck up a line. I don't I don't do it in any other sort of I just don't want to watch any YouTube videos with you because when an ad comes on you Oh like... that's when I'm at my most violent. <laughs> I was like drinking probably a little too much and listening to music on YouTube the other day and then every time an ad came on I just saw red and in my head I said I will kill you and everybody that you love Like that's how mad YouTube ads make me. Madder than Almost anything. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that with you now. Yeah, no, I don't. I think, uh, I think I might have a problem. 
And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us achieve world domination and silence the lizard people. Yeah, fuck those lizard people. Yeah, in the mouth. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I was thinking silencing, yeah, only if they're into it. lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.